Hello, and welcome to Sunday Devotionals with John and Rachel. We're so honored to have you join us as we explore God's truth and get to know Him in a more authentic and intimate way. As we go through life, many of us have questions, concerns, and issues that may hinder us from fully embracing who God is and who He's called us to be. These devotionals are designed to help us navigate life and all that comes with it, learning and growing in God. So pull up a chair and grab a cup of coffee, or in my case, tea, and join us as we fellowship. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this day. We thank you for your wonderful kindness and your tender mercies. We thank you that you've been faithful to us, that you have been consistent with us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, God, that uh, we have another opportunity to share this time together. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue in this series, that you would open up your word to us, that you would reveal your uh, reveal our path before our feet as we walk this word out. We pray, Lord, that no one will leave here the same, but we'll leave here edified, challenged, and encouraged to continue to walk with you. Uh, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we wanted to continue on in our series and talk about this idea of protecting your progress. This idea of protecting your progress um, is important. And in the context of starting over, we tried to set the precedent and we will once again say it so that there's no confusion as far as our intention and in us being able to understand the sentiment of this whole series. That in order for us to truly embrace all that God has for us, in order for us to truly appreciate the path that God has for us, we must relinquish control of our lives. We must set the precedent that my life is not my own. And I'm not responsible for the path that my feet are on. That's God's job. My job is to walk the path that God has set before me. Run the race that God has ordained for me. If we're not there, then all this is, this is not going to be much fruit from this series in your life. But if we have decided to relinquish control of our life and surrender to God's plan for our life, then this is for you. Okay. This whole idea of progress, um, I think, kind of uh, has a lot to do with how we perceive our life, how we perceive our future, how we look at our success how we feel about, uh, you know, excited we are about the days to come, right? This whole idea of progress. So in order to kind of help us, I think Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses 22 through 26, is gonna help provide some context here that we're gonna kind of go through together. And we're gonna share a few points that God has given us to share as we go through this. And I'm gonna ask you some questions here just for you to think about and chew on as we're walking through this particular devotional today of protecting your progress. So Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses 22 through 26, and this is the easy to read Bible. And it says, what do people really have after all their work and struggling in this life? Throughout their life, they have pain, frustrations, and hard work. Even at night, a person's mind does not rest. This is all senseless. There is no one who has tried to enjoy life more than I have. And this is what I've learned. The best thing people can do is eat, drink, and enjoy the work they must do. I also saw that this comes from God. 
If people do good and please God, he will give them wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But those who sin will get only the work of gathering and carrying things. God takes from the bad person and gives to the good person. But all this work is useless. It's like trying to catch the wind. Heavy, heavy reality. But I thought it would be apropos for us to think about this because at the end of the day, this is coming from one of the wisest men to ever live. So I, I want us to look at our life today in the context of all that you have gained. In the context from the point of view of all that you have acquired up until this point. I want you to think about all the mistakes. I want you to think about all the failures that you perceive or failures. I want you to look at your life today, right? And in, in the context of your life, I want you to assess where you're headed. I want you to look at where you're going. Like what, what internally is that goal and who set that goal? Is that a goal that was set by you based on the context of your life? Or is this a goal that God has for you by which God takes the responsibility for? So just to give us a little background on it, this is Solomon talking, okay? Solomon, one of the wisest, richest men to ever live. And the beautiful thing about Solomon is Solomon's life is a picture of what we all want. This is a human being who lived many, many years ago that happened to get everything he wanted. Everything he set his eyes on, he got. Everything he ever desired, he had. He had the money, the women, the houses, the land, the popularity, the respect, the authority. He, he was the man. Okay, And not only that, he had the wisdom of God. So this man was loaded with every possible thing that a human being could ever want. Many of the things that we pray for, many of the things we're trusting God for and asking God to help, the picture and the scene that we see in the future, and we said this before, by this time I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. I'm gonna have, this man had it all. And this is what he asks. What do people really have? after all their work and struggling in this life. What kind of question is that from somebody who has everything? I mean, I would think that somebody who has everything and has access to everything would be, have a little different disposition. So this, today, God wanted to, to kind of help us to, to look through uh, what we desire, how we classify progress how we classify where we are when we look back to what we have gained, how we look at that. So there's a few points that I wanted to share with us. First of all, um, God wants us to examine what our definition of satisfaction is. What is your definition of satisfaction? Like, like how do you measure it? But what, what needs to happen in your life to make you feel like you've accomplished something? Because as we're walking through this life and we're going through our everyday kind of situations and circumstances, good and bad, there are uh, aspects of things that we've carried with us that are worth keeping and that are worth getting rid of. We hear this all the time. You can't bring everything into your next season. That's true. But who determines the sorting? Who determines what's worth bringing and what's not worth bringing? And the reason why I'm asking this question, because they're looking at it in the context 
of progress. And progress meaning how successful do I interpret my walk or how, how successful has it been? How successful do I feel? Because when you consider the whole idea of starting over, starting over also tempts you to make you feel like you've wasted time, that what you have achieved is a waste, that nothing that you have gained is actually worth bringing on with you. When on the contrary, a lot of times the things you have learned and gained are necessary to help you to get through starting over more efficiently. So the first point was assessing what our definition of satisfaction is and understanding, or, or maybe even looking in the mirror and saying, okay, is it possible that my ambitions and my desires have dictated my interpretation of what success is? Is it possible that I feel the way I feel about where I'm going or I feel the way I feel about my life because I've been looking around at other people. I have been gauging my life based on my past and my struggles and my pain. So my outlook is determined by that rather than the possibility that God has something better for me. Right now, when you're looking at this here, Solomon asked this question from the mountaintop. He asked this question from like the man that has it all. So there's a relevance here that I think God wants us to see that whether you have it all or not, there's still a level of value that God does not want us to place on things that are not necessarily connected to him totally. Because you're going to end up in the same place. Right? So there's this idea that I'm going to bless your life. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to allow you to experience things. There are going to be hurts. There are going to be pains. We talked about it last week, that death is a necessary process. Loss is a necessary process. But resurrection is always, in some way, shape, or form, in God's other hand. God is intending for goodness to come out of whatever you're going through. But he's more concerned about your future than he is about your present. Like he cares about you. He's a very present help. But he's more concerned about giving you hope in a future. Solomon talks about this anxious striving that we have. And we all know what that is, right? There's this anxious striving that we have to be successful, to do stuff, to make it to this checkpoint by this thing. You know what I mean? Like, like we, we give up, we put all this stress on ourselves to accomplish whatever we're accomplishing. But God is like, ho, 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 okay, that's nice. It's good that you want to be and you want to do and you want to have. But if I have planned starting over for your life, are you going to throw out everything that you have gained? because of the discouragement that sets in, because you have been looking at all these outside influences and striving anxiously for the wrong goal. Okay, the second part that God wants us to kind of consider when we're thinking about this whole thing of uh, protecting our progress is asking yourself, what have you gained so far that's worth keeping? And I mentioned that before, right? But I want to focus on it here, okay? What have you gained so far in your life that is worth keeping. And you must ask right after that, who's doing the sorting? Am I doing the sorting in my life? Am I picking out what's good and what's not? Or am I allowing someone who has a better point of view to do it? We used to watch the show Hoarders sometimes. And we know what hoarders are. Hoarders are in the show where the house 
is was once this nice uh pristine, pristine house with walkable aisles and paths. You knew where every room was. And over time, the collecting of different things creates this house that is no longer a house. That there's stuff everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched the show or watched it, but uh, it's a very interesting thing to look at from the natural that could be happening to us spiritually. That our goal for our future is to soothe our brokenness. The motivation that we have to be this and to succeed and to have this and have that is not necessarily pure in its sense. It's a way of masking and trying to cope with a deep level of scars and brokenness in our lives. And just to add to that, you know, I think with, with a lot of times with helping people that hoard process mm -hmm. is usually stemming from the need to of control of wanting mm -hmm. to hold either hold on to what they've had because they're not sure if they'll be able to get it again mm -hmm. or there are the items are attached to memories that they don't want to let go of because mm -hmm. letting go of those memories and those things is like letting go of either the person yep. or that time in their life or whatever that is. And, and that that is directly correlated with the inability to start over because for a lot of us, it's because we're afraid that if we start over, mm -hmm. we won't be able to acquire the things we did in the past. Mm -hmm. So the things we lost will never be able to be gained again. Mm -hmm. uh, like I, they, I yeah. can't possibly get that back. I can't possibly find this. This was one of a kind. When God is has the ability to give you one of a kind for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's so good. So, mm -hmm. you know, just you know, think reflecting on you know, just not just the natural aspect of hoarding, but because that's that's a very good point. Absolutely, the majority of us have the tendency, whether or not we do it, or to what degree. We have the tendency of spiritually and emotionally hoarding. Yeah. Yeah. And that's nothing more than for some of us holding grudges. Yep. Yeah. Or, um, you know, living in the past and not being able to, uh, because we're, we're thinking of our heyday. And it's funny. I know we're moving on. No, no, go ahead. This is definitely yeah. not having to do with what we're talking about. But it just, I, I, I'm laughing because I always say you can always tell where somebody's heyday was or where they were in their prime because they get stuck there. So if they are rocking a mullet, it, they're most likely they got stuck somewhere in the 80s. If they're, if they're <laughs> rocking whatever it is, you know, that was at the prime or their peak, yeah. they can't let go of it. And they feel this need to hold on to that. So, you know, just keeping yeah. that in mind. That's so true. And the, the illustration that I was thinking about, even with the hoarders, was first they start with a close friend. I'm going to come and help. You know, this is a friend that might be connected to some of the stuff in the house. This may be the friend that is still like the friend that's a little too close to help you sort properly. Right? So this or is a family member. Or a family member. Yeah. Family yeah, 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 yeah. So it's the kids or whatever it is that happens. And the kids get to a place of frustration where it's like, you know what? We need to get some professional help. And when the professional help comes in, the professional help does not care as much about the stuff as you do. 
Yeah. Like the, the, the professional help comes in and looks at it from a point of view of your best interests, not what you care about. Objective. Yeah. And for the hoarder, that is a scary thing. Because first of all, it feels like a foreigner coming in and disrespecting and unraveling the things that I've surrounded myself with to, be, to make myself uh, feel more safe and secure. That, look, I'm not ready. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and a lot of the episodes that we watched, it's like the whole team is there and it's like weeks that they're trying to take to go through each room and each item. And you see that struggle with, no, but I, I, I can't. No, it's not weeks. I can't. Was it months? No. What is it? Years? To acquire the thing? No, no, no. To get rid of it. Like days. Oh. Well, even more Psychologists ain't even more that long. Even, or even more traumatic then. <laughs> Just imagine that. This got to go, this got to go, this got to go. But this is from uh, when I was, but this is from, and this is, listen, this is not in any way mocking that situation. Right. What it's doing, though, is bringing a reality to the fact that we all do it in some way, shape, or form, and God is the professional that's trying to get us free. Yeah. But sometimes God feels foreign, right? God's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, no, 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 no. You're supposed to be comforting me. You're supposed to be helping me. You're supposed to be healing me. And God's like, no, this is going in the garbage. Mm. This is garbage. This is garbage. This you can't even go to. You can't even get to the bathroom. You, you can't even relieve yourself. You, you can't even cook anymore. That's good. Like, like your your life has spiritually become toxic to you. But look, what's beautiful about this whole thing is, but you you have a house. Like 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 you you have cluttered the dwelling place that you were blessed with in the first place. You've allowed all the baggage and all the stuff that you need to surround yourself with, and it causes you to not appreciate the fact that you still have so much that's worth keeping and worth protecting and worth preserving, right? So the third thing that, that I believe the Lord wants us to consider in, in light of protecting our progress is, what's your definition of failure? Like when you feel like a failure and you feel like you messed up or you feel like, like, what is that definition based on? Right? So we're getting deep today. We're getting in our hearts today. We're getting in our minds. We're getting in our spirits and our souls today. Right? Because in order for us to embrace the fullness and the freedom that God has for us, we got to ask ourselves some serious questions. And we got a lot of Holy Spirit to really let us look in the mirror so that if starting over is God's next step for me, that I'm going to fully embrace it as an opportunity to succeed with God and not as a point of failure that causes me to feel like I ain't worth nothing. That's the devil's job. Devil's job is to discourage. Devil's job is to cause you to be depressed. Devil's job is to cause you to look like you're never gonna make it and, and, and cause you to never have hope in your future. That's his job. That's, and he's excellent at it. He's excellent at it. He surrounds us with people that do it. That's just how life is. But God says, I have thoughts and plans for you that are good and that are intended to give you hope and a sure future. That's God's plan. Anything else that we feel that is opposite to that is not God. Period. So what's your definition of, of failure? We've, we've heard this term and I really like it. I think I heard Denzel Washington say it. I mean, he's been really deep these last few days. I don't know if you've been hearing and listening to him, but He's been saying a lot of deep stuff. Anyway, 
But this whole idea of failing forward, failing forward, right? This whole idea of redefining your definition of failure, right? We heard the term, like, there's no failure in God. God can't fail, right? There's a lot of failure in us. But if God is in us, is failure really the same definition? Like, what is failure to God, right? So, um, as I was kind of meditating on this here, I was, I was trying to think of what, you know, a good, good redefinition of failure is to help us, right? Because we're talking about protect, protecting our progress, right? Um, failure is a necessary stepping stone to success, okay? Failure is necessary because it teaches you how to succeed. Failure creates an opportunity to succeed more efficiently. I'll give you an example, right? Um, we that played Super Mario Brothers, right? I go back to the video games thing. I think some people, you know, I think it's, a, it's, it's an apropos example in this particular point, right? Because in order for you to beat the game, you have to fail. And the only way you lose, really, is if you quit the game. So when you're playing this game, you have to continue to move forward. And when you lose all the lives, there's a starting over or a start over button that you press. But look at what happens when you start over. When you start over, you get through the first stages more efficiently because you experienced it before. So you're, in, in essence, succeeding more efficiently at what you failed at each time you start over. Learning how to beat the game, finding the secret stars and all the other things and the secret stages. And a lot of times, I remember when I was playing it, there's nothing like, like seeing someone who has failed enough times to beat the game play it. So I remember, you know, watching my brother play the game. Um, and I was amazed at the things that I missed because I didn't necessarily play it to the point of failing it to master it. So it was secret stages and levels and things that I'm like, the whole time I'm like, I didn't know you can do that. He can do that? Well, what is stage is this? That's how you beat this boss? You mean, I, I could not beat this boss to the point that I had to stop playing the game for a month because I was so upset. But this whole idea of redefining how you see failure, if you see failure in your life as a tool that helps you to succeed better, then you will always have hope. This is the way God wants us to look at every aspect of our lives when we're walking with him. Once again, we go back to the premise here, right? The Bible and God has set our path out so that this applies to us these principles apply to us so long as we have surrendered our life to God's plan. And just to add, to, I think I think a lot of us, um, and I'll speak for myself, with assessing or examining why we have the definition of failing that we do, I think it's because a lot of times we feel like with every failure, we're one less mm -hmm. step mm -hmm. away or, yeah. or we have a little less time. Mm -hmm. That's better. Yeah. So if we fail, that means we have one less chance mm -hmm. at succeeding rather than just like you said, 
being one step closer to to finally succeeding. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, God is the one that redeems time. Amen. So again, like last week when we talked about the GPS, we, we can be on a course and feel like we've lost time because we got turned around or we had to turn around and stop and reroute. Mm -hmm. But in essence, we make up the time and we end up exactly where we should be as mm -hmm. if nothing ever happened. So I think, you know, just thinking about the fact that God or reminding ourselves that God is the one that redeems time. Totally. And that he doesn't want your life to end in failure. Similarly to the game, right? The game wants you to beat it. It's just challenging. The game wants you to learn about the effort that it took for your enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes God allows us to go through things so that we can see the beauty and the intricacy of God and discover who God is through our circumstances. Think about this. Some of y'all would have never went to the Caribbean and never took a vacation if you weren't working so hard. There's certain things that, that, that are a part of our life that drive us to another level of enjoyment of something else that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. So this whole idea of failing forward, this whole idea of seeing uh, mishaps and things that happen in our lives that would make us feel like uh, that we failed or that, 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 that it, was, it was a bad step. Understanding that a lot of times they're stepping stones to our success and they're just creating another opportunity for us to succeed more efficiently. Okay? Proverbs 24, 16. Good people might fall again and again. The righteous man falls seven times, but they always get up. It is the wicked who are defeated by their troubles. So allowing your troubles to defeat you, God classifies as wickedness. That's crazy. Like it's wicked to give up because God has ensured success and hope and, and a future on your path. That's the goal. So you quit. It's like basically showing God to be a liar. Good people might fall again and again, but they always get up. Righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. So you might ask, well, what if my failures are not my fault? What if the life that I have and, and, and the path that I've experienced and all the turmoil um, has, has been because I was wronged or abused or violated or abandoned? Well, the Bible's got something for you too. Because at the end of the day, you look at uh, Genesis 50 and 20, Joseph says this, the story of Joseph. He says, yeah, it's true that y'all planned to do something bad to me. Y'all planned some evil stuff. Yes, you did. And my life has been collateral damage. The stuff that I've had to go through in my life, all this other stuff feels like I'm always starting over. I always got to go back and come forward. I always go back and come forward. And I don't feel like I have made any progress in my life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever. And it's y'all's fault. It's the family that I was raised in. It's the circumstances. And that may as well be true. Ask Joseph. Joseph didn't ask for none of the stuff he went through. But he says this at the end of the story. It is true that you plan to do something bad to me. This is Genesis 50, 20 ERV. But really, I, I just that, that part right there blesses me, right? I saw a reality 
But the reality, the real reality was God was planning good things. Hmm. God wants you to look at your reality and put it up against his reality and his plan for good things. God was really planning good things. God's plan was to use me to save the lives of many people. And that is what happened. That is a powerful verse. And when you look at Joseph's life, we've talked about it in the past, and he's coming up to this, this, this painful part of finally getting to see his brothers who were instruments of his pain and caused his life so much pain going to jail for no reason and all his whole life going into slave his whole life was a hot mess because of what his family did to him it wasn't his fault but at the end of the story he has a testimony that yeah this was pretty bad and y'all planned this but god had another plan really god was planning good things and the two things that he takes away from this is god's plan was to use me and that's exactly what happened can, like, can, we, can, we, can we just um, give God that license in our life? Can we just say, you know, God, I want you to use me. And then be okay with how that happens. And it's not going to be cookies and cream all the time. It's, it's going to be some pain and some loss and some, some, some going back and starting again. But at the end of the day, God wants us to trust that his plan is good, even when it's bad, and even when it's not your fault. That the goal is still the same, and God's destination for your life is still hopeful and full of glory to him. But there's a level of, of surrendering and yielding that God is calling us to uh, bear. So your definition of failure needs to be redefined by God, because God wants to change how you see the circumstances of your life. This is the last point. Contentment plus godliness equals great gain, right? So try to bring this full circle and try to help us to understand what is progress, right? Is progress, I have this amount of money now. Is progress, um, I have this many friends now. I've achieved this level of success in my life. What, what, what is your definition of progress? And, 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 and how, uh, how tangible is it? What is the legacy of it, right? It, it, is it temporal? Is it conditional, right? That if God was to cause you to go back or come full circle or relocate, or go someplace else. Is the progress that you deem as progress just as valuable when everything changes? God wants us to assess what we deem as progress today and protect that, meaning value it. Don't allow circumstances and people and even yourself to cause you to squander what God has allowed you to gain from everything in your life, okay? So 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11, NIV reads this. It says, but godliness with contentment 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmless, uh, harmful sorry, desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, free, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Very sobering verse that challenges us in the idea of how we define what gain is. To God, gain is a combination of godliness and contentment. Mm -hmm. To God, gain or progress is your ability to take contentment and add it to godliness. Notice that has nothing to do with the successes of your life. That has nothing to do with how many degrees you have, nothing to do with how well you're able to do this and that. It has everything to do with your ability to be content and to be godly. So let's, let's, let's close it with this whole idea of, well, what is godliness? Godliness defined by the East, Easton's Bible, um, and I needed help, some help with this because that's one of those very deep ideas, like godliness is like God. Okay, well, I don't understand that, right? Like God in what way, right? So godliness is defined as a lifestyle and wholehearted pursuit of knowledge, veneration, affection, dependence, submission, gratitude, and obedience to God. Another way to say it is godliness is the character and conduct determined by the principle of love and fear of God in your heart. So if you are driven by your love and fear of God, and not fear of God like, oh, God is so scary, but a reverence of God, a respect for God, that is godliness. So let's put it into our life. God has our life mapped out. We come, come against bumps in the road. We come against things um, in our lives that are not necessarily all that pleasing. We come against conflicts and pain and loss or whatever. Godliness says that in all that I'm going through, I'm going to commit myself to a lifestyle and wholehearted pursuit of a knowledge of God, of praising God, of my affection towards God, of my dependence on God, of my submission to God's will of my gratitude to God for everything that I have and I don't have, and my obedience to how God wants me to go through this. That is practical godliness. I'm watching my character and my conduct because my conduct and character are going to determine whether I really love and respect God through what I'm going through. This, this, is, this is what God is saying. The Bible is teaching us about godliness, right? On the other hand of it, what's, what does it mean to be content? What is contentment? And contentment is satisfaction, but 
you think about it a little deeper, it's a state of mind in which one desires, one's desires are confined to whatever lot they may be in. So whatever God allows in your life, you have submitted your desires and locked them within that confine. So I'm not going to desire things that are outside of what God has, has circled off for me. This is really heavy stuff. So what God is saying is redefining your, what, what it means to, to, to make progress is more of a spiritual thing than it is a natural thing. Right? It, it, it's, more, it's more of a, of, of a walk, an inner walk with God than an outward thing. So it's possible to have um, spiritual progress when you have nothing physically. When you have lost everything in your life and you see yourself as a failure, you see all this other stuff, it is possible for your spirit man to be content and full of joy because it knows where God is taking you. Mm. See, your spirit man wants to help you live this life to get to where God's goal is because your spirit man knows the destination. We don't, but the spirit in you does. So it's a matter of humbling ourselves and agreeing with God and agreeing with the Holy Spirit that is leading us closer to where God desires us to be. So um, another definition of contentment is a posture or a mindset or perpetual gratitude, which guards us against entitlement. See, if you're grateful a lot more, you'll feel less entitled. And it's entitlement that causes us to miss God. And it causes us to miss God's goodness along the way. So this whole idea of humility on the inside and understanding that greater than tangible and physical definitions of progress, God wants us to meditate on the fact that my definition of progress is more spiritual. And what God wants us to do is take contentment and add it to godliness. And that will equal great gain. Like it didn't just say gain. He said great gain. There's another level of trust that, that God is calling us to in this series. Independence on him and prioritizing that over the future that we want for ourselves. So protect your progress. Give yourself over to contentment and godliness. Because God says, it's great gain. But let's look to the Lord. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this day and this time. We appreciate you. We thank you for uh, what you have shared with us today on the importance of protecting our progress. We thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to us and you have kept us through many, many dangers. You've kept us through obstacles and, 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 and problems and, and issues and You've, you've, you've navigated the path with us through hurts and pains and things that we cannot even explain. And we can see that you were with us the whole time. And even if we didn't acknowledge you at the time, we know that your grace was carrying us to bring us to this moment. So we thank you, Lord. We pray, God, that as we continue to seek you and to depend on you for the path that you have placed our feet on, help us, Lord, to understand that contentment and godliness is your definition of progress and your definition of great gain and things that are worth keeping. 
So help us, Lord, to hide these things in our hearts. We pray for everyone that is listening. We pray for everyone that has attended. We pray that you just be glorified in our lives. And as we walk this walk with you, we understand that you have the plan and that our success is in you. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, we'd like to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, we shall be saved. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize and acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn away from my sins and ask you to forgive me and save me. I make you Lord of my life. If you made this life-changing decision, welcome to the family. We wanna know about it. Connect with us online at www.thelifehouseministries.org or by downloading the LifeHouse app. We love you all and pray God continues to bless and keep you.